Hey, welcome to night school. It's been a couple weeks. Had some really hot weather last week for about seven days. It was like 96 to 99 degrees. And it turns you into a reptile. You know, at this point in my life, I appreciate the heat when it's here. The heat when it's here. But I can enjoy it, but it really turns you into a reptile. Like it brings out that reptile brain in you. And you just kind of, a lot of your decision making just relates to the heat. And two, it's it's the only time of year that where I live feels anything like South Beach. So I can appreciate the fact that women are actually trying to look hot this time of year. You know, <laughs> seems like a lot, at least in this part of the country, it seems like women do a lot to not look hot these days. But during the summer, that's when the shorts come out, you know, you know, you got to you got to appreciate it. You know, you don't you don't have to be a creep. You don't have to be lecherous. But you got to appreciate that just being around that for like one month every year. But uh, yeah, it really turns you into a reptile, like brings out that reptile brain in you when the heat's here. And I tried to do some episodes, but I would, I would start walking and then I would just hit record. And after 10 or 20 minutes, it would just I don't have anything. And that's good. See, that's good. When I'm at the point where I just think I don't have anything to say. I feel like I've accomplished something. But I was thinking about something else today, uh, that idea of sexual liberation. Because that was the phrasing. Like back in the 60s, you know, liberation and liberty was the big idea. A lot of activism was framed around like women's lib. And, uh, you know, sexual liberation. Free love. Free love. Free love. We need to free love because it's locked up. Love is locked up, but we need to free it. Free love. Um, but, uh, you know, that was the idea. And you can see kind of where, like, the language of activism changes. Like, you think about in recent years, that same exact movement, you know, the same basic idea that we need to, you know, advance our ideas about human sexuality and just the human desire to have sex you know, it's, it's the same basic idea, whether you call it sex positivity or sexual liberation or free love, but you can see where things get rebranded every now and again. The sex positivity thing was a way of kind of rebranding something that had been promoted for decades, promoted, I mean, promoted in some places all throughout history, but the sex positivity was like a way of saying like, okay, this is our generation's thing. Like just kind of riffing on the same note that baby boomers were riffing on in the late 60s and early 70s, you know, millennials and, and zomers, but especially millennials, had to start saying, oh, no, we have this new thing we're promoting called sex positivity, as if it's somehow fundamentally new or different. But we can see where it is. It is like a new mutation. And, you know, just to talk about the language thing, how the language changes, how like, the term liberation was replaced by, uh, you know, positivity. And another version of that that I just thought of the other day is justice. Like we've been hearing about social justice for many years. Social justice, you don't hear it as much now. For years, like, you know, people were like, oh, social justice warriors. And then people in earnest would be like, I'm fighting for social justice. Uh, But uh, you don't hear it quite as much, but you've seen where like, the term justice used in that way has now crept into the entire, to everything that they do. 
Like I just noticed this. It, it didn't even phase me because there's so much of this stuff here. But sometime like since summer 2020, near like, like one of the main parts of town, like one of the main traffic circles in town that connects the two main parts of town here, there's like a big concrete divider and it's about six feet tall. I've walked by it. It's a little taller than I am. It's about six feet tall. It goes for a ways. It's a big concrete divider. And they painted it with these huge letters that say climate justice. Because that's what I'm talking about, where climate change, you know, environmentalism, these kind of the green movement, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like, like it's been called many things and it's had the same basic principle. But the most recent rebranding of that is to call it climate justice, which is so stupid. You know, it really is like that's one where I just hear that and I'm like, it doesn't even sound right. It doesn't even sound right to say climate justice. Like social justice, I can kind of get, but you can see where like creating that way of phrasing now has to be applied to like every single movement or every single issue. But this climate justice painting, it's a black hand holding like three different strands of colors. And like one of them is like rainbow. It has like a bunch of rainbow colors in the strand. The other strand is, I think, like trans flag colors or something. And then the, the third one is like different shades of brown. And then those three strands are going through this big black fist. And then they're coming out like intertwined. And they might form like a DNA strand or whatever you call it. Uh, and then those turn into like roots. And then the roots turn into the phrase climate justice. So it's, it's hitting a bunch of beats right there. And what's funny is I didn't even realize it was there. Like I saw that they painted it, but I didn't even I didn't actually look at what was represented. Where it's a black fist and then this like intersectionality. It's just an intersectional painting. Where it's basically like this painting is about black, gay and trans people and and the climate. Nothing else is represented here. <laughs> and what it what it makes me think of is like right up the street from that too. Early on in Coronavi, during lockdown, uh, a local lady painted, it's kind of a big concrete thing in front of this building, and uh, it's, a, it's on one of the main streets, so you, you would see it every time you drive by, and she painted it, so it's Rosie the Riveter wearing a, a, a Coroni mask, and then she's saying, like, you can do it, you can do it, whatever, whatever Rosie the Riveter says, like, we can do it. But it's this big painting. It's well done. Rosie the Riveter. I think it's Rosie the Riveter. There's just whatever that is. That World War II, like a woman being a mechanic or whatever it is. But it was Rosie the Riveter wearing a mask. Oh, my God. It's so inspiring. What's crazy is that people were ever inspired by that at all. You know, it's amazing to me that like the idea of like, oh, I'm going to take this classic iconic image and she's going to be wearing a mask. Like the idea that anybody, even somebody who's pro mask, the fact that anybody would want that or find that cool or, you know, on the other side, the idea that that would convince somebody on the fence to start wearing a mask. But it's not about that. It's never about convincing somebody. When you paint Rosie the Riveter wearing a mask, it's never about convincing that person who needs a little encouragement to wear a mask. It's simply, it, it's a, it's a signal. 
And, uh, you know, what it, it makes me think too, like, like a little while back, just like a month ago, a couple of weeks ago, I walked by the local record store here. It's the only record store that's still around. And they had a, a cutout, like a giant cardboard, life-size cardboard cutout of Bob Dylan. But it was like an illustration of Bob Dylan. It wasn't a photograph of Bob Dylan. It was like a giant cardboard cutout illustration of Bob Dylan. And they had that in the, the window of the record store wearing a mask. They had put a mask on him. So same thing. It's like, oh, you know what would be funny? Is if we had Bob Dylan wearing a mask. You just, I mean, I just can't imagine doing that. Like, I can understand if you're running a store and there's mask mandates and you want to have a little fun, but it's still, it's part of this, like this whole movement. I mean, I hate to use that word, but like, it's part of this whole just thing people were doing two years ago where it was like, I'm going to paint Rosie the Riveter wearing a mask. Cause that's, you know, and that's still there now. Like I walk by that all the time. I'm like, there's still a Rosie the Riveter painting, a huge, it's big, wearing a mask. Like when you painted that, like, do we want to look at that forever? Do we want to look at Rosie the Riveter wearing a mask forever? But speaking of intersectionality, there was a, what somebody else, I think, I can't remember who it is, but there's some comedian who refers to intersectional car crashes when some of the different interest groups end up butting heads. And uh, during summer 2020, when the rioting and protests were going on, like people were spraying BLM graffiti all over town here. And one night when protesters, rioters were out wreaking havoc, somebody put like George Floyd and BLM graffiti over the Rosie the Riveter painting of her wearing the mask. And I was like, I love it. I love it. Because you know that that woman who painted that now has to like, like on one hand, the natural reaction to that is to be like, fuck it. Somebody, somebody did graffiti over this painting I did. It took me a bunch of time. I was making this, uh, I was making such a, a heroic statement. We can do it. Rosie the Riveter wearing a mask. You know, there's a part of you that naturally is going to be mad at that. Like even if you're disciplined and well-conditioned and you don't react to things somebody like spray paints garbage graffiti because that's all it was it was just like somebody took black spray paint and like wrote in shitty letters like george floyd rip and blm and whatever else they put and i was like like i like the idea of like that woman because like she didn't fix it like it's like that blm graffiti the george floyd graffiti it stayed on rosie the riveter over her face and everything it stayed there for up until recently, it was there for, I'd say, a year and a half easily. And you know that it was there because, like, she knew she couldn't paint over that. It was like, oh, shit. Like, even though if it was any other graffiti, any other graffiti, you know that she would probably have just painted over it and maybe kind of scoffed. But because it was George Floyd, it's like rock, paper, scissors. That's what that is. It's rock, paper, scissors. And it's like this, this, this coronavi mask feminist painting rosie the riveter wearing a mask saying we can do it like that's rock and that'll beat a lot of things like if you're a man that beats you whatever whatever male issue you have whatever male centric issue you have in the game of rock paper scissors rosie the riveter wearing a mask that's rock and that smashes your scissors but then BLM comes into it, George Floyd, summer 2020, 
And what beats rock? Well, BLM graffiti. So you can see where like Rosie the Riveter's rock, Rosie the Riveter wearing a mask is rock, and then BLM graffiti's paper. Like she had to accept that loss and be like, I guess I can't paint over this, otherwise I'll seem racist. And that's the real concern, you know, that is that, you know, there's a lot of graffiti around here. A lot of really shitty, just the worst possible graffiti. And I'm not even a fan of good graffiti. Like, I've never been one of these people who's like, I like graffiti when it's really talented and good. Like, yeah, I can recognize when it takes talent, but I still don't like the aesthetic. I don't want to live in a world surrounded even by good graffiti. You know, there's a place for it, like under highway overpasses. But, uh, you know, worse than anything, though, is just the sheer amount of just tags that are out and about now. Everywhere you go, tags. I mean, somebody, uh, there's a house I walk by and they put an old exercise bike out in their free pile. Just an old, like, stationary exercise bike. I went by the next day and somebody had done graffiti on it. I'm like, they can't, they have, it's like a dog pissing. And a lot of it's like these transients, like a lot, because I've, like I've said, like, a lot of homeless people now are wiggers. And a lot of them do graffiti. A lot of them are like hobos who just go around. Like I see the graffiti, like I see the same graffiti names in so many different places. You know, you see this graffiti around in so many different places. Uh, but uh, anyway, just in the, in the game of rock, paper, scissors, BLM graffiti trumps uh, your feminist Rosie the Riveter wearing a mask painting. But anyway, you know, I just, th- that word justice and all that got me, you know, just thinking about all this, like this, this giant painting that says climate justice, and it's, it's next to a black hand holding rainbow trans and black and brown strands and intertwining them. And those things are becoming climate justice, you know, nothing even remotely white in any way in this painting. Uh, but anyway, like what what got me going on that is just the sexual liberation and how that's kind of mutated. Like at, at some point, like millennials were like, oh, well, to make it our own, we're going to call it sex positivity and be even more absurd about it. Because like sexual liberation, like women's liberation, you know, it certainly wasn't popular to be like, we should all be prostitutes and everybody should encourage that. Your dad should be fine with that, or he's a hateful, prejudiced bastard. Like, that wasn't part of it. Like, yeah, maybe there was some acceptance of prostitution and just, you know, definitely maybe encouraging, like, the safety of women who engage in that. But a lot of it was kind of anti-porn, too. You know, porn was kind of viewed in those days as uh, not just... uh, you know, destructive to women, but kind of destructive to sexuality in general. Something that interestingly, young men have discovered after having a couple decades of nonstop access to all kinds of porn. This movement of young men who say like, hey, maybe you should stop looking at porn. Maybe you should stop masturbating. And comparing notes, I mean, there's websites devoted to this. There's that whole no fap thing that kids do that they've been doing for probably 10 years now. Adult men do that. And they're like, don't, don't masturbate, dude. Like this stuff that religious texts told you throughout history, 
but people are rediscovering it. People rediscover things. It's what I, I, this theme is very common on this show, which is that when you forget something, you rediscover it. And this happens continually. I was talking about it with modern dating, how now that women have to spend most of their time on dating apps, vetting men, and it's exhausting. Like they're basically like men are on there. I won't go into this again, but men are on there just thinking like, I sure hope that any woman responds to me today because it's so difficult. But a woman's thinking like, oh God, I hope that I'm able to properly assess all of these men who are, you know, vying for my attention. And it's, that's a lot. It's overwhelming. And so women naturally gravitate to some sort of infrastructure to help them with that. They rediscover, you know, why family and people in the community were involved in the, the marital process, the arranging of marriages, the introduction of young people to one another for that purpose. And uh, interestingly, men have discovered why many different religions and, you know, have said, don't jerk off, don't jack off, dude, don't jack off. And they've discovered it by having, by masturbating more than anybody in history. I'm not even joking. I bet that's true. I don't know how you measure it. Our data is a little thin, especially the further back you go. But I'd be willing to bet that my generation, young men who have had nonstop access to porn since they were basically hit puberty, how my generation of men has probably masturbated more than any in history. I mean, I've made this joke myself, and it's not even much of a joke, but like, I've never been a fiend. Like, I've never been a fiend for porn. I've never, I've never, I've never had like a, an addiction or a compulsion at all. I would say I'm very middle of the road. Probably. I probably look at porn way below the average person, the average man now, but thinking back to when I was a teenager and in my early twenties and everything, I would say I was probably right in the middle of the pack as far as porn and everything that goes along with it. But even being in the middle of the pack, I would bet you that I looked at more porn and perved out more than any man, more than like the the horniest, dirtiest dude in the 1950s, simply because of the access and the in the culture. And what is it, Betty? What do you see, dude? See a ghost? A bug? Betty saw something weird. Uh, but anyway. Uh, that's just a thought I had where I was like, even being completely in the middle of the pack as far as like porn and masturbation go, I bet that if you took me back to the 1950s, I would seem like the dirtiest, most disgusting criminal pervert because it, it just, you didn't have as much of it. Um, so men, like, you know, I kind of, I kind of figured that out on my own too. Like I kind of figured out that the way sex was represented by both the you know repressive evangelical types as well as by the sex positive ideas you know the sex positive movement whatever you want to call it you know i realized that like neither of those make sense to me neither of those things make sense like when you repress sexuality well it comes out in all sorts of crazy ways. Like when you force an entire society, like I think as an individual, you can repress your own sexuality. 
But, uh, you know, when, when society is simply telling this and you don't know through your own learned experience what the reason is for that, it just seems pointless. You're just like, I'm attracted to people. They're attracted to me. Like, people should be able to do what they want. And it's really through experience that you're like, okay, well, you know, people should be allowed to, you know, it, it shouldn't be enforced. I mean, it shouldn't be, I don't know, I think, I think I'm making my point. Just that you don't want to live where, you know, the culture around you is completely repressing something that's very natural to you. But then the other side of it where it's encouraged and it's, it's out in the open and it's discussed everywhere all the time and there's no mystery. And it's treated like it's, it's simply an act of pleasure and that anything else that goes along with that or comes from it, including a child, is somehow an unnecessary burden or a mistake. That's what gets insane where people, and I mean, I think this describes a lot of people who are my age where they truly have forgotten why sex exists. You know, not just for procreation, but, you know, the purpose it has, like bringing a man and woman together, the union of it. And uh, part of that union is producing a child. That child is is that union essentially it's a, it's a representation of that union between man and woman but we frame sex as something that like oh it's just something i want to do all the time that makes me feel good and the other stuff that goes along with that like the reason we have it is a burden and we should use science and you know to to get around that in any way we can and if something does slip through, if there's a pregnancy or something else, well, you know, we'll just get rid of it, you know, because uh, that'll get in the way of our pleasure. You know, I, I hate that framing, you know, so it's it's a middle path dilemma once again, where you, you look at the different attitudes towards sexuality and you're like, neither of those sound right. You know, and I think both of them deny nature, which is interesting. Because the idea behind sex positivity and sexual liberation is that, like, if we don't do this, we are denying nature. But it, it ends up becoming unnatural. It becomes unnatural to be promoting sexuality all the time. Nature doesn't even do that. You know, nature isn't promoting sexuality all the time. There's a lot more going on in nature. It's certainly not arguing in favor of it, because that's the thing. Like, you can show sexuality. And I think that's the interesting thing about the latest phase of this, like the sex positivity movement. Because I've said this before on here where I find it it makes sex very clinical and unattractive. Like, when a, when a young woman today talks about sex positivity and hits all of those bullet points, even if she's physically attractive, I don't find that attractive. Like, like seeing it through that framework is not even remotely attractive to me. And uh, to me, it's also unnatural. It's just as unnatural as completely repressing sexuality. And so that's an interesting thing, too, because they're finding, too, that young people are, aren't having very much sex. They're finding that Zomers and millennials as well really aren't having that much sex, which is an interesting byproduct of an era where people are promoting sex. Sex is more free and open than it's ever been. Sex of all kinds, no matter who you are and what you're into. 
it's it's socially acceptable now for young women to have their own private porn channel to have their only fans to to be on Instagram just flaunting themselves to be on TikTok like it's amazing like the only porn i really look at you know I, maybe not the only porn but like the main porn that i look at when i'm feeling that way is like women posting pictures of themselves like these image boards it's just women of a very specific type posting images of themselves that's that's what i'm into and, and that's fine to me like i feel dirty looking at hardcore porn but just looking at images of women, that I think that's the way to go. That's how I feel. But it's it's insane how much of it there is. Like the number of young women who aren't on OnlyFans necessarily, aren't doing hardcore porn, but who do just like take these selfies of their ass or wearing this or, you know, whatever it is. I, I mean, I a part of me appreciates that they're doing it because I'm attracted to it. But sometimes, you know, I'll just have a moment where like I look at this image board and I'm just, I see this just endless stream of images and i'm just like this is crazy this is crazy like the access we have the number of young women who otherwise you would never see in this way you would never see them wearing lingerie or or posing that way but we suddenly have access to it phones and this great connectivity and this climate of, of sexual liberation has led to this but honestly it kind of puts me off I don't find it that sexually attractive. It's like there needs to be some mystery. It needs to be something that isn't talked about out in the open. Like we went from being like, hey, don't shame this. Don't shame people over their sexuality. Don't shame women for wanting to be sexual beings too. To just being saturated in it all the time. And I think like keeping that stuff a little bit hidden... Not treating it like it's a sin, but keeping it a little more hidden, having some discipline. I think that's what's missing. Because, you know, when you, when you think about like the basic idea behind sexual liberation, it was basically to be more honest about human sexuality, right? The idea wasn't to promote any one particular thing. It was basically, we should be allowed to be honest about our innate human sexuality, whatever it is, whoever we are. And we should be allowed to, you know, pursue that as we see fit and not feel shame and not face legal consequences. Basically, we shouldn't be lying. We shouldn't be lying. And at some point, though, just like it's become very unnatural, just like I see the sex positivity, you know, the, the sort of language they use, the way they discuss these things, the sorts of points they're making, just like I see it as, as actually more unnatural than true natural sexuality. Like, just like I see sex positivity as, as a very unnatural thing, very unnatural feeling thing. You know, I feel the same way about... Uh, about... Uh, one sec here. About the honesty of it. You know, because the idea behind sexual liberation was like, hey, let's as a society and also as individuals stop lying about who and what we are. We are sexual creatures with certain limitations as to like how and when to act that out, when to talk about it. But hey, we need to accept that it's a part of us and 
the best way to accept it is by simply being honest. And sex positivity wasn't so much about that as much as it was like promoting it. The slut walk. Like really going, like it was very performative. I don't think earlier generations of sex positive or of uh, sexual liberation and all that, I don't think it was nearly as performative. Whereas like the sex positivity movement became very performative and what really highlights how performative it is, it's coming from a lot of people who don't have much sex. So these people who are promoting all this sex don't even have much sex and they've made sex really unattractive for everybody involved. And then, and then who know? you know, we know that men's, um, testosterone is going down. Men, you know, are losing a lot of their libido. Younger generations of men don't have much libido. And you wonder what the cause of that. There's people wondering, like, is this dietary? Is it environmental? Is it the access to so much porn? What is it? And we don't, I don't know that they know. I don't know if they know why men are dropping their testosterone. But it's like you see the two sides and it's like men have become these weird little porn addicts with no testosterone. So, so that's like their ability to even perform with a woman just isn't there. And then with women, like they've become these like weird, like they, they appear on the surface to be very promiscuous and out there. And then, like, the reality is, though, they just talk about sex in these very abstract clinical terms they basically made up themselves. And, like, they're not really having that much sex either. So it's just kind of funny. So there's this kind of bluff. Like, like it's like there's this bluff to it. Like, people are bluffing. And what's weird, though, is, like, thinking about myself here, thinking about me and how this climate, how I feel in this climate, where it seems like we went from wanting sex to be something we are more honest about. And I think we did kind of reach a point. Like, I think I would say like by the early 2000s, I felt like people could be fairly honest about sex without facing severe repercussions. Definitely by the 2010s, I would say that that was much less of an issue. But speaking for myself, you know, we live in this time now where as a straight male, a straight male, a straight male, straight male. Um, it's interesting, like, like what people try to like, like, I'm not allowed to be honest, for example. Like, you'd think that this climate of like accepting everybody, not being cruel, wanting people to be more honest about what they are sexually attracted to. You know, you'd think that that would have opened the doors, you know, so that we could all just be as, as honest as possible, no matter who we are. But like thinking about myself, it's like, you know, we live in a time where like it's considered offensive, for example, to say that you're not attracted to men wearing drag. Like if you're a straight male and, and you're not attract and, and you say you're not attracted to a trans woman, somebody would consider that controversial. It's a manufactured controversy. controversy. There's nothing truly controversial about that. But in the psychosis that these people live in, they would consider that controversial and offensive. But what's funny about that is I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, how if I go to the grocery store, there's a good chance I see a trans person. Whether they work at the store, whether it's one or two people shopping, it must be the area I live in, but it's extremely common to the point where 
just about every time I go to the store, it's, it's not shocking at all to see a trans person there. A lot of them with the girls that they're harder to tell. It's harder to tell sometimes if like someone's a lesbian or a trans male or whatever, but the same thing always happens with somebody, uh, who's a trans woman where like, I'll see them like out of, out of the, in the periphery of my vision and I'll kind of glance over and then it's, it's almost this uncanny valley moment where like I sense that something's off and then I glance again and I'm like, oh, okay. And then I go about my business. That's it. But something we as men do is like we assess women. Like my joke when uh, whoever that lady was who was getting grilled in court. She was like, I don't know if she was a Supreme Court nominee. I don't know. I don't remember who she was. But they asked her, like, can you tell us what is a woman? And she says, I'm not a biologist. I don't know. And like my joke, I think I said it on here. My joke at the time was like, if you asked me that, like, what is a woman? I would say, I know it when I see it. I know one when I see one. But that's true. I know a woman when I see one. It doesn't mean I'm attracted to her. And like we as men, like when we see a woman, like we might not even be that attracted to her, but we just kind of give her a brief assessment. Like I don't do it with old ladies or anybody who's like morbidly obese, but like, like any woman between like 20 and like 50, who's, who's like just the shape of her is even remotely womanly. You just like, you give her like a a brief analysis. You don't scope her out. You don't look her up and down, but you just like, you look at her and you determine whether or not you find her attractive. And, uh, it's just something we do. I don't do that with trans, uh, trans people. Like when I'm in the grocery store and I kind of have that uncanny Valley moment where I'm like, I see a woman walking over there and then I look and I'm like, Oh, you know, no, it's, it's, uh, there's no assessment and that's not, uh, that's not stigma. That's not me like feeling ashamed, like deep down inside. I, I want to find that person attractive and I just don't, I'm so insecure about my own sexuality that I'm, I'm denying the potential attraction I would have to a man and woman's clothing, but that doesn't even happen. No, it, it doesn't even that, that, that process doesn't even trigger, which is interesting. And that should tell you everything you need to know. Not in a mean way. Like this isn't, this isn't something that I would go out there and volunteer and say to hurt somebody's feelings. Like, Hey, did you know I'm not attracted to you? Hey everybody, you know, I'm not attracted to trans women. Cause uh, you know, they, I don't even assess them like I do regular women. You know, it's not something I'll go out there and volunteer. And I guess I'm kind of doing it here. But the whole point of, of this show is to dissect these things and be honest. The whole fucking point of this show is to be honest, you know? Um, but uh, sorry about that. But uh, And that's the interesting thing, though, is that like these kinds of conversations aren't taking place and they need to. Like as a straight male, like you assess all women. Like it, there was this guy that I talked to in high school who was kind of like one of those. Uh, he was like the weird guy of a jock group. Like there are groups of jocks, dudes who are just like polo shirt, athletes, whatever they are, all American boys. And they'll have a friend who's like, actually has super weird and insightful thoughts. And I was talking to this dude like that in high school. And I remember he was like, 
doesn't matter who she is. He's like, if I go into 7-Eleven, I can see like the fattest, ugliest woman and I still look at her ass. Just, you have to look. He's like, you just have to check. Like he wasn't saying that's what he's into. He was just saying like, this is a high school kid. He's like a 17 year old. But he's like, no matter who she is, like if I go into the grocery store, if I go into 7-Eleven, I still, I remember he said 7-Eleven. He's like, if I go into 7-Eleven, the fattest, ugliest woman is in there. It's like, I still have to just check her ass. Because it's not even about getting pleasure from that. It's like an assessment you do. You just check. And that was so funny because it was coming from like this jock dude in high school. But it's very true. Like it stayed with me because I'm like, that's very true. So true. Like you do that with women. Like I'll see women in the grocery store and like they might not be that pretty. They might not be my type at all. But like there's a moment where I, I like I just assess where I'm like, am I attracted to her? No. And then I move on. Or yes, and then I stare and I drool and my eyes pop out of my head. And I, it's like a Tex Avery wolf. But no, it, it's, it's just something that doesn't happen. If you're a straight man and you see a trans woman, you don't even assess. The only assessment you do is just that uncanny valley moment where I'm like, oh, that person's decorated like a woman. But it's not even something that registers with you. And someone would say, well, there's some men who do. There's some men who, would, who, who do uh, assess trans women sexually. Well, I would say you're probably not a completely straight male if that's the case. You know, I would say you have a little bit of something else going on. And that's okay, you know. That's okay. There's no problem. There's no problems here. We're all friends here. But, uh, you know, if you, if you're, if you look at that person and you're like, Hmm, I am into that. I don't, I don't know that you're a straight male. Uh, and that's the weird thing though. Like the reason I'm talking about this too, though, is like, this has become the climate we're in of dishonesty where like someone could theoretically, like in a town, like I live in, someone could theoretically be like, Oh, I want to set you up on a blind date with this girl. She's really cool, dude. Like, you're, dude, she's into all the same stuff. She's fucking funny, dude. She's fucking... Dude, she's fucking hot, dude. She's so fucking hot. You know, someone could set you up on a blind date with a girl in this town. And I'm not saying anybody's doing this. But you show up, and it could very well be a trans woman. And the idea is that, well, it's a girl. You're attracted to girls. Like, this is a girl. And I don't know that anybody's been in this exact situation. Cause, and, and that would say something unto itself, right? I'm sure it's probably happened, but that would, it, would say, it says something unto itself that like liberals aren't setting up blind dates for their friends, for their straight friends with trans women. Because they know. They just can't be honest about it. They know that's not the same thing. They know that's not what, the, what a straight guy is going to be into. And, uh, you know, so they don't do it. And I, I get the idea that you don't want to be mean. No matter what, what kind of lifestyle somebody wants to live or what they're into. I mean, to me, it's like this, like, like where I don't know what, what's going on in those people. I don't know what's going on in somebody who wants to be something else. But the way I see it is this, like, whether I believe that's legitimate or not, no, it doesn't actually, it makes no difference how I view that lifestyle, that decision. There's no need to like respond to it by like, you shouldn't do that. 
To me, that's like if somebody was like, hey, my favorite band's the, the Beatles. And you go, the Beatles suck. Like, you just don't need to do that. So the idea is never about being mean. It's about being honest, though, as far as the conversation goes. And when the dialogue is trans women are real women. And you're me and you say a real woman. Well, I know one when I see one. And I'm not even very lecherous. You know, I'm not even very uh, I'm not very sexually aggressive. I'm not out there just to like sleep with a bunch of women, women. I've slept with very few in my life, in fact. So I'm not out there like looking at women like, can I fuck her? Can I fuck her? Can I fuck her? You know, I'm not out there doing that, but I am, I, I am constantly looking at them. I find it almost impossible not to look at an attractive woman very tactfully. It's great if you got sunglasses on. But uh, so for me, it's not even just sexuality. It's just simply like what you are, what your eye is drawn to. And, you, and, you know, I don't want to go on too much longer about that particular issue because it's obvious. Anybody who's honest about how, about this stuff, it, you know, they know this, you know. And that's why also, like, liberals aren't setting their friends up with blind dates with trans women because they know it too. They know it. You know, they just know it. And so where you kind of need to step in and say, hey, you're asking me to lie is when you say, like, trans women are real women. No, I know a real woman when I see it. And I can, I can tell you, even if I'm not attracted to a real woman, I can tell you, but it's, it's psychotic that we're even having these debates and I, it's, it's every single thing I hear now. It's, it's a major part of the political debate. Every single podcast I listen to, and I listen to a variety, I listen to a variety about a variety of subjects. They always end up coming back to this topic. It's the big topic of our day. And people are, they they try to handle it so carefully, but in handling it that carefully, they end up lying. Because a lot of this does come from, like, while there is a very nasty and malignant side of this that is deliberately doing something to undermine our culture, there's also a lot of people who just want to be decent and nice. And if kind of being dishonest or saying trans women are real women is the nice thing to do, they're going to do that. But you end up like living in this maze of dishonesty when you do. And to me, it's like, it's like the body weight thing where, uh, like I like bigger girls. I like bigger girls. I like bigger girls. Hello, bigger girls. Um, I like bigger girls. Some of me are, could even be fat. Like I can, I can be attracted to a fat girl for sure. But for me, like, I think I've talked about this on here before, because what I like, like, I've never dated a girl who's like, officially fat. I've never like had a girlfriend who's officially fat. But it wouldn't bother me, you know, it just hasn't, hasn't worked out that way. But like, because I'm certainly attracted to it, and I feel no shame. But what I want in a fat girl is going to be an hourglass shape. Like she's going to still need to have a very womanly shape. You know, she's, she's going to need to still look like an attractive woman to me. And I prefer that. In fact, like I would prefer a girl who's a little bit fat over a girl who's a little bit skinny. It's just what I prefer. Baddie's just like transfixed on something. It's funny. 
like a reflection. But uh, but anyway, like I would prefer a girl to be fatter than thinner. But that said, it's not like, you know, because I think there's this whole pathological side, like this feeder. I hate to even bring that up. Like these feeders, like men who like want to be with a morbidly obese woman who doesn't move. And like, like I've never understood like that level of like BBW porn where we're talking like obesity. We're talking like people who no longer have a human shape. And for me, it's like, I like a bigger woman who, who still has a feminine shape. I think that's actually very attractive. Like if a woman still has an hourglass figure, but she has extra weight on her, I, I find that very attractive. And, uh, you know, so it's not just a matter of like, like the, the, the whole, like the way this thing has been framed is that it's like, oh, you either, you're either attracted to fat women or you're not. You either have really unhealthy views of what women should look like or not. And it's like, no, it's not even about the weight. Like you, like people have made it out that like it's a, it's a debate between like fat and skinny when it's a debate around like who's attractive and who's not. And there's fat women who are way more attractive sexually or just beautifully, beautifully attractive uh, than skinny girls. You know, it's just, it's just a weird way that it's been framed. And, uh, but for me, it's like, like I'm attracted to an hourglass figure doesn't have to be like a cartoon hourglass and like with a heavier woman it's going to be like maybe it's going to be kind of a wider shorter hourglass but it's still an hourglass that's kind of what how I see it same with like a thin woman like I'm attracted to skinny women if they still have kind of an hourglass shape it's just something you know I'm doing the hand motion the hourglass hand motion that's just what I'm into but like framing it around like just weight itself is silly and that's what gets me about like the fat acceptance movement is the people they choose. Like that black flute player. She's a black flute player who's on the covers of magazines and she's become this like manufactured sex symbol. But she's shaped like a freaking bowling ball. Lizzo. She's shaped like a bowling ball. Like there are black women, there are heavy black women who have great proportions. I see them all the time. Like there are black women who have amazing proportions. It's amazing like how some black women are built where it's like this perfect hourglass with like a huge ass, huge boobs, you know, and it's like there's like a thick or even fat type of black woman who's very attractive and has an impressive build and they pick a bowling ball. Because that bowling ball, I mean, that's that's like when you start to get into this, like, I just, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think that's something to celebrate. It's not something to mock or shame. But since when has, you know, fat acceptance become promoting like the worst possible fat body shapes? Because there's good fat body shapes. There's hot fat body shapes. Bowling ball isn't one of them. You're getting into weird fetish territory if you're into that. Not trying to hurt any feelings, but I mean, I, I would say the same thing for like people who like men. Like if you're into guys who are shaped like a bowling ball, because that's the thing about obesity is obesity like desexualizes you. If you want to be androgynous, just gain a ton of weight. Like men get boobs. They lose a lot of their male definition. Women just turn into bowling balls. They lose their feminine definition. 
The, the true androgyny is obesity. But there's a lot of people who, and some of them even are, are on the fat side of fat. Like some of them are even on the official, they're, they're officially fat, but they're still attractive. Like they still have something to them. And I feel like if you're going to celebrate body types of all sizes, go for that. You know, at least go for something. Like have some pride in, you know, the human body is kind of how I feel. But I see that bowling ball shape all the time. Like I was walking through downtown a couple of weeks ago and I saw a group of young women. They were like in their 20s. You know, some of them, they, they were pretty. Like a couple of them were pretty. They had that kind of pseudo alternative look that everybody has today, like dyed hair, a leather jacket that looks like it doesn't belong on them. You know, kind of like, you know, the backwash of the backwash of the backwash of punk. They had that kind of look going on. But I noticed that all of them looked like bowling balls. And I, I didn't I didn't notice. Well, the reason I noticed it is because they were women. And even though they weren't women that I was attracted to, I still had a moment where I assessed them. I, just in my own brain, I looked at the group of women standing on a street corner and I thought, hmm, women. What do I see? Sounds terrible, but... uh. You know, and then I saw bowling balls and, uh, it didn't make me feel like judgmental toward them or any, it didn't make me feel any animosity toward them, but it did kind of make me, it made me feel just kind of mad at the situation we're in. We're like, that's what's on magazines. That's what we're trying to promote. And, uh, it's like, they don't even choose an aesthetic form of fatness. They, they make it as non-aesthetic as possible. That's just the funny part about it. But it's a very dishonest sexual climate. That's what has ended up being created out of all this, is it's very dishonest. Like, people can't be honest about what they're actually attracted to. We want to promote a broader array of people, but it's done in the most haphazard, unesthetic way you could imagine. You know, it's all part of this. Everything has the same lexicon and tone. You know, it's all about justice. But what's been sacrificed in all of this is honesty. Just being able to be honest about what you're into. And not be judged for that. And in promoting this radical sexual honesty, it's kind of funny that we've created like a a brand new, we, we basically created a brand new repressive force in order to make a few people feel good, who it seems like we can't even make feel good. Like, it's a lot of people demanding that the world make them feel good. That the, the thing separating them from contentment is the world. Biggest mistake you can ever make. Like, yeah, I understand if you are a cross-dresser or you're a trans person wanting to be allowed to live your life and not be bothered or harassed or whatever else you think might happen to you. 
but it turns into this mandatory celebration, this mandatory encouragement, and this dishonesty about what they even are, which is condescending. Like, I'm losing my hair. Guys who are losing their hair try to kind of hide it. Even if they're okay with it. It's not something they necessarily like to show off like while they're in the process of losing it. But if someone were to say to you, oh, you don't, you don't have a bald spot. You're not almost bald. You got plenty of hair. Like if someone were to say that just to make you feel good, deep down, you know that's not going to make you feel good because it's not true. Oh, you got plenty of hair. Meanwhile, you look in the mirror and you, it's almost all gone. But somebody's trying to be nice to you. That's kind of how it is with the trans thing where it's like, yeah, we can say you're a real woman. As a straight male, I can pretend that I'm attracted to people like you, but I just am not interested. But the reality is that's just not how it works. And accepting that and understanding that like the world isn't going to accommodate that, at least not to the degree that you might want. I think that's an important part of all this. And it's true for being fat too. Like when I was a fat kid, like I was a fat boy. I was a fat boy. And I didn't see myself represented in, you know, like like I knew that if I watched a movie, read a comic book, played a video game, that I'm not going to see fat guys in the lead role. Not too many places I'm going to look and be like, oh, Hey, you know, there's a new episode of G.I. Joe on. Too bad none of the main guys are fat. Oh, I'm going to watch He-Man. How come He-Man's not fat? I don't, I don't feel very seen because He-Man's not fat. He-Man's not fat. He, I don't feel very seen because He-Man's not fat. He-Man's not fat. Um, I, never, I never even thought that way, though. I never once as a kid, like loving sports and all this macho shit, like pro wrestling, all this stuff where everybody's in good shape. I never once thought like, I want to see myself represented. I understood that like these stories aren't meant to be told by fat people. I understood. And and it wasn't a sad thing. It was just something I kind of understood. And, uh, I also didn't need to see it on the covers of magazines or anything. Like my self-esteem didn't need to see big fat guys with their shirts off on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But there's something in women that apparently has a much stronger need to like feel represented. Like I need to see it in order to be okay with my weight. My weight has to be celebrated. It has to be mandatory. We have to have bowling balls on the covers of magazines, bowling balls with heads sticking out of them. But I never felt that way when I was fat. Like I didn't, I didn't want to be fat. I would have preferred to have, you know, lost the weight and been in better shape. I didn't really know how. Didn't really know how to even get that going, how to get the ball rolling, how to get that bowling, bowling ball rolling. But, uh, I don't know. It didn't cause me much grief. Like I wanted to lose weight for my own personal reasons, but I never felt like mad at anybody else for not finding me attractive. Like, yeah, it was, it was harder for me to meet girls as a fat teenager than it was for friends who weren't fat. 
but I, I never felt any, uh, I never felt like anybody was doing anything wrong. Like, like nobody ever said that to me. Like a girl, a girl never said to me, I can't date you cause you're too fat. But even if that was the reason I wouldn't have held that against her. Like I, that's a valid reason. That's a valid reason right there. Like if you don't like me cause I'm too fat. I really don't want you to date me and not like me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to feel pressured to date me if you're not attracted. You know what I mean? It's, it's that sort of thing. And so it's weird to go through that process, to grow up, to be fat for like 20 years and uh, to lose the weight and then to, you know, I don't know, but but to to have never like expected any, to to not have expected the rest of the world to change, to accommodate me. And you know what? If people had like put me in a throne and put a crown on my head and said, oh, dude, you're so fucking cool. Oh, dude, you're the most attractive guy in school. That's why we're making you the king. I would know they were lying. It would be like some Make-A-Wish Foundation shit, which is exactly what all this stuff is. All this stuff we're seeing, it's Make-A-Wish Foundation shit. Like when they put a fat woman on the cover of a magazine and make a big deal out of it and she looks like a bowling ball, that's Make-A-Wish Foundation shit. Not just for her, but for all the people who look at that and they're like, oh my god, I feel seen. I feel so seen. It's Make-A-Wish Foundation When someone says, oh, you know, there's no difference, there's no actual difference between biological women and trans women. It's it's like Make-A-Wish Foundation shit. I'm going to pretend you're Spider-Man while I visit you at the hospital because you're dying. Oh, this kid is, he's dying at the hospital. We're going to treat him like he's really Superman. That's what it's like. You know, sometimes it's nice to do that, I guess, if somebody's in a really bad place, but it's like to do this on a cultural level, to do this on a societal level is is insane. And then to ask everybody to lie about it. Because that's kind of what it's like. It's like a, it's like make a wish foundation. There's a kid who's dying, who wears a Superman outfit and you make him happy by all pretending that he's actually Superman. But then it's like if you were to leave that room and uh, and say to like a, like a, one of the nurses, oh, it's really cute that he thinks he's Superman. And the nurse like looked at you with like just penetrating eyes and said he is Superman. And you were like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I, of course, a, a kid who's fighting cancer is like Superman to me. You're right. No, 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 no. He is Superman. That's Superman in there. You know, that's kind of what it feels like. And all you can do is just be like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, th- this is like an invitation to be mean about a kid who's dying. And I, I didn't want to do that. But uh, that's kind of what the whole debate around like men and women these days is. It's like you're basically being expected to lie. And you're put on the spot about it too. And when you're put on the spot, you have to be very careful what you say, because simply being honest is considered not just mean, not just rude. It's considered hateful. It's, it's, it could potentially ruin your life to say that. But I, you know, 
I don't know how long people can be this dishonest. Like you just end up be, like that's the thing about the way things are now. You just end up becoming like Mark David Chapman or Holden Caulfield. Like you really understand now, like why like somebody just gets like a a tick in their brain and they're just like phonies. Oh, they're a bunch of phonies. Because like growing up, like I, I had to read Catcher in the Rye in school. And like, you know, by then it had been like parodied so much. And like we already knew about Mark David Chapman's obsession. You kind of just roll your eyes when Holden Caulfield calls everybody a phony. It's like calling everybody a poser. Whatever. But in the last couple of years, like, it's it's like I really I, I, I'm having a hard time like resisting the urge to think that way because I try not to. I never try to look at people as drones like I've always tried to really recognize people's individuality, even people I don't agree with completely generic, normal people. I've always really tried to acknowledge their individuality where it exists the last couple of years, it's gotten so difficult and you do end up just becoming this idiot cliche being like, they're phonies. They're all a bunch of phonies. But you, but it's, it's just the truth. Like, it's very difficult to speak honestly and openly. And we could use that as the thing. Like, if we're going to talk about human sexuality and we're going to bring gender fluidity, homosexuality, the endless list of new things. If we're going to bring all of that into it, I think we should also bring in just you the the simple perspective of like, okay, I'm a straight male. A woman? Oh, I know one when I see one. And when I see one, I assess her. And I will even assess the fattest, ugliest woman alive just because we do that. But this other type of person who's claiming to be a woman... I don't even assess that. It's like the radar is like they don't even cross the radar. They don't even show up on the radar because that's kind of what it is. Like you have woman radar. Like when I go into the grocery store, I have woman radar. Where like I know like like if I, I'll just like do a glance like oh I'm 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 heading to the bananas. I'm heading to the bananas. As I'm walking there, I just kind of I'm, I'm of course looking around because I'm at the store, but it's like a woman who's like even remotely in the range of what I find attractive. Like it's like a dot shows up on the radar. It doesn't show up for old ladies. It doesn't show up for men. It doesn't show up for children, for children. You think I'm an audiophile or something? You think I'm an audiophile? Um, it doesn't show up for children. You know, it doesn't show up for men in drag. doesn't matter how much makeup they have on. doesn't matter how, how, wonderful their outfit is it just they don't even cross the radar it doesn't it doesn't even go off it doesn't even detect them and i think that's an important part of the conversation if we're going to be in a climate like this where public figures are saying like i i don't know how to define a woman i'm not a biologist if we're in a climate where people are screaming trans women are real women i think the the people who are legitimately attracted to women you know are the people to ask. And we would tell you, oh, they don't even cross the radar. They don't even show up. We don't even detect them. And what's funny about all this too is like a lot of the perspective on it too is fueled by liberal women, liberal white woman, liberal white woman. It's just one woman. They're all just one woman. 
No, but it's all, it's very much fueled by them. Many of whom claim to have some sort of queer identity today. Many of whom in the past have claimed to be bisexual. They've claimed to be bisexual. And uh, I don't even, and, and they, they haven't even been honest about that. These people who are demanding the, the sexual framework that we're going to operate under haven't even been honest about their own sexuality for the last 20 years. And it's interesting to see like these, these poor public women who have like been through the ringer of these things where like there's this like Demi Lovato who I barely know who, who she is, but her name surfaces and I, it always surfaces in relation to these things where it's like now she's, she's bisexual. Now she's gay. Now she's, you know, a they them. Now she's back to a she you know, it's, it's this very narcissistic journey people are on, but I don't blame the people who are on that journey because it's just like they've been put on this path. You know, they, they've been put in this maze and they're trying to make sense of it and there's no sense to make. And so they hit these dead ends in the maze and they're like, oh, I think this is where I want to be. Oh, this dead end I'm in tells me that like, oh, I'm a bisexual. I'm a bisexual. So I'm just going to stay here. And then they're like, well, you know, I feel like, like I kind of feel like this is a dead end because it is. And then they start wandering through the maze again. They hit another dead end. And it's like, oh, this is a new thing. This is, oh, oh, what it is, it's, it's gender nonconforming. I'm going to be a she them, you know, whatever. And uh, they stay there for a while. And then like Demi Lovato comes out and she's like, oh, you know, I'm actually a she, a she her again. But if you look through her story, because like I, I looked her up the other night because I wanted I was like, who actually is she? I hear that name all the time, but who even is she? And I looked her up and I like if you look through her, the public account of her personal life, she hits every beat. This poor young woman. Because I do feel like girls like that are victims in this culture. They're, they have so much of this psychic weight on them and it's, and so much of it is coming from other women. They're torturing each other. That's what's going on. That's, I think that's the real tragedy that's going on. Because a guy like me, like, I don't feel put upon. I, don't, I find this shit irritating, and I vent a little bit. And I also find it interesting to discuss because it's just everywhere. But it really doesn't phase me. Like, I am who I am. I don't feel any... I don't, I don't, there's no contradiction. There's no guilt. Just maybe a little irritation at the, the degree that this is dominating our culture today but other than that like i don't feel put upon or burdened but what i see with young women is they are just torturing each other this is very much like woman on woman crime where like young liberal women are just torturing each other about these identity things and they're going through this maze and they've convinced each other that they have to be in this maze. And then they just keep hitting dead ends. And they're like, that's not it. That's not it. Well, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that, maybe if I change this. And it just doesn't seem to be working out. And a big part of it is the attention they get for it. And you do a new thing and you get a certain amount of attention, but that attention wanes. And when, when you lose that attention, you now have to live with the new reality of your life. And when you aren't being celebrated for that all the time, 
It's like a tattoo. Let's like let's, let's use a, a completely different example of like getting a tattoo. You're like, oh, you know, everyone's getting tattoos. I think what I've always been missing in life is a tattoo. What I've always been missing, what I've always been missing in life is a tattoo. You know, you've always been missing. That's what you've been missing in life is a tattoo. So you just get a tattoo. And a bunch of people are like, oh, dude, you got a tattoo? That's fucking tight, dude. It's a fucking tight tattoo. Oh, my God, that's a cool tattoo. Oh, you got a tattoo? Oh, my God. You know, everyone you know is complimenting your tattoo. They're noticing your tattoo. Like a couple of months go by, and nobody gives a shit about your tattoo anymore. The newness of it is wearing off. And you might actually like look at that tattoo and be like, why the fuck did I get that? Now I have to live with that thing. Now that like the, the hubbub has died down, I have to live with that thing. I kind of think that's what it is with some of these these public figures like Dem- Demo Lovati. Demo Lovati. Hey, it's Demo Lovati. Demo Lovati and Ellen Page and these people where it's like they make some big announcement. I'm a bisexual, dude. I'm a, I'm a bee. I'm a bisexual, dude. And uh, people are like, oh, dude, that's I'm so glad you've come out and been honest about who you are. That's so big of you, so brave of you. Oh, my God, that's so, oh, you're a bisexual. And then now they're just another bisexual. And in this climate of, like, you know, competing for attention having a phone, having all of this stuff available to you, so many different different people looking at people, looking at people, this hall of mirrors that we live in. And now it's like it's no big deal now. Like It's like, oh shit, I made this big announcement that I'm a bisexual. And now what am I supposed to do? Just like date women and men occasionally? And just live my life that way? Then you start reading about, oh, well, it's act- there's actually this thing called, like, gender nonconforming and gender fluidity. And it means it's kind of like it's, it's a little different than just being attracted to men and women because sometimes you're a man and sometimes you're a woman yourself. And that sounds good to that person. It's like, oh, that's a new thing. That sets me apart. That's another jewel. Oh, and people are getting a lot of attention for it. People are getting a lot of attention when they when they call themselves that and talk about how hard it is. So they come out and say that. And then people are like, oh, wow. Oh, my God. Demo Lavati. Demo Lavati. She's, she's not even a girl anymore. She's a they, them. Demo, Demo Lavati. Who knew? Oh, my God. It's so big of her. But then that wears off. And then it's just like, well, now that I now that I all the excitement has died down and like I just have to live like this, I realize I, I was just who I was to begin with. Just kind of funny. And uh it's what happens when you do things for attention. It's it's what it's what happens when you think that there's a quick fix available. For your spiritual ills. Your, your spiritual ills. So what happens when you think there's a quick fix available for your spiritual ills. Ills. 
Eels. Eels. That's kind of what it is. It seems like these are quick fixes. Because, I mean, I'm not saying people don't have serious dilemmas. That's what we're seeing. Like, these people wouldn't feel the need to do this if there wasn't a deep dilemma. And I would see it as a spiritual dilemma. And what's interesting is, like, it kind of is even to them. Like, they, they see it that way, too. All of these things kind of have this soul component. Where, like, the, the issues around, you know, this radical gender theory, the idea is kind of like, oh, well, there's something deep inside of me that is not represented physically, that I feel is the real me. And what it really wants is for me to dress different. (laughs) There's this thing really deep inside of me that you can't see or measure. And it tells me that I I should cut my dicky off. And, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's funny that like, that's kind of the idea. It's like your soul is compelling you to do this. Your soul is telling you that you were born in the wrong body. Whereas like, I kind of come from the viewpoint that like every body is the wrong body for your soul. That's why you die. If your body was the right body for your soul, I think your soul would just be like, Hey, I'm hanging out here forever. I'm just going to hang out in your body forever. This is, this is just right. This is the perfect body. It's the perfect body. Instead, it doesn't, though. Your soul inhabits your body. Your body breaks down. You do a bunch of stupid things to your body. And then you die and your soul moves on. But, uh... So it's funny that, like, a lot of this comes from this sort of spiritual soul idea. And we try to act like it's scientific. Like, we try to act like, oh... We have the, the scientific literature, the, the, the psychological literature shows that some people feel that they're born in the wrong body, which I acknowledge, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm not out to dismiss that phenomenon. Like clearly there is a real phenomenon where people feel compelled to do that. But, uh, it's just, what's interesting to me is we try to act so scientific about it when it's really just like a soul discussion. It's really just like a, a discussion of like the human soul. And it's kind of true for the fat thing, too. Because, I mean, it goes into the idea that, like, beauty isn't skin deep. And you should be attracted to people for more than just what they look like. Which is to say, like, their personality and, you know, what they have going for them. But there's also an element of that that's soul. Like, people who say, like, oh, you know, you, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover... You shouldn't, uh, you know, base your attraction to somebody based on like how they physically look like those ideas. They're basically saying like, you're just a soul looking for another soul and don't get distracted by all this body stuff. But where it's gone is now it's completely preoccupied with the body. Like instead of coming from the point of view that like everybody has a soul and that soul makes everybody inherently beautiful. Which was kind of how I understood, like, earlier body positivity. Like, earlier body positivity wasn't so much like the black flute player who's shaped like a bowling ball is the hottest chick in the world today. It wasn't trying to promote that. It was basically trying to say, hey, don't forget about the human soul and how powerful that is. 
And souls can be attracted to souls regardless of the container around them. That was kind of how I understood earlier Bazi positivity. Bazi bodidivity. That's how I understood early Bazi bodidivity. Pazi, Pazi bada bidibi. Hey, is this, isn't that like Pazi bada bidibi? Hey, is this from Pazi bada bidibi? Um, that was kind of how I understood it. But then it mutated into like this purely superficial thing where it's like, no, the most beautiful people in the world are shaped like bowling balls. So it's kind of funny that it's like gotten away from the soul, but it's still kind of a spiritual discussion. Like the idea is that like, don't be distracted by materialism. You know, the the super hot double DD-10 with platinum blonde hair and big, big brown eyes. That's an interesting combination, blonde hair and brown eyes. I dated a girl who was a natural blonde, like light blonde, but her eyes were brown. You don't see that very often. It was kind of amazing. But uh, I'm not talking about her. I'm talking about the one with the... She didn't have double DDs. And, uh, you know, what I was going to say, though, is uh, uh, something about superficiality. Uh, oh, well, like, like, kind of like the spiritual materialism or just, just materialism in general. Like some of the body positivity stuff or like looking beyond what somebody looks like, it, it is very much like a... Kind of like a, hey, hey, don't don't read too much into our material reality. Don't judge somebody or rule somebody out based on how they appear because that's materialism. And you're missing a vital, unseen component of this reality when you just look at somebody and you assess them based on that alone. You know, so there's something sort of like if not anti-materialistic, something that certainly questions materialism and is therefore spiritual in the idea of like being attracted to many different types of people. But what's interesting is, is it's gotten very far away from that sort of spiritual framework and it's gotten into just like an even more materialistic point of view. Um I don't know, there's the only, you know, I'm going to share a personal story here that I don't know if I've mentioned to close this out, which is that many years ago, I don't know when this was, had to have been maybe like 2014, 2015, I would guess. It was when I was drinking a lot, and I know I was single, and I, I was on OkCupid at one point, although I think it was, I, I think I, had, I don't know if I had been on OK. it might have been earlier. Might have been before 2014, but somewhere around there. But there was a girl that I had talked to one time on OkCupid in the past. And she was a big girl. Very pretty. Very pretty, actually. Like, great sense of style. And uh, she was very large, though. Like, bigger than I'm okay with. And we talked on OkCupid for like a second, you know, like a, like a short back and forth, but never met up or anything. But there was one day, maybe like it was a significant amount of time later, I woke up on a Sunday and was just like, I was never a day drinker. 
you know, of course I did it on occasion, but I was, that was never like part of my routine just to wake up and drink. But I went and I bought like an eight pack of Guinness because they sell them in eight packs for whatever reason, eight pack. And I just started drinking them at the start of the day. Like it was like, I woke up at noon hungover and I was like, I'm just going to start drinking. And so I, I drank the entire eight pack and then a friend of mine messaged me and it was like four o'clock, you know, so I'd spent like four hours, like whatever, just drinking. And he's like, Hey man, do you want to meet up and get a drink? And I was like, of course I didn't tell him I was already drunk, but I, I show up and we start drinking whiskey. And so like by like five o'clock, I'm probably, I'm definitely in the double digits as far as drinks. And I just keep going from there. And I noticed there was a girl on the patio at the bar where we were. And I quickly, even in my drunken state, I realized it was the girl I had talked to on OkCupid. And she was very large, you know, she was large, but in person, very pretty, like very pretty girl. And, and very drunkenly, I just went over and sat down and started talking to her. And she was cool. You know, I, like she was fun to talk to. Uh, and it just, it kept going from there. Like, I mean, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I drank 20 drinks that day, you know, just over the course of the day, like between the beers and the whiskey, whatever else I was doing, I probably had about 20 drinks. And so I started like my friend and I started hanging out with her that day. Cause I was just like, Hey, let's just hang out. And then I remember though, I started holding her hand and, uh, <laughs> And at one point I went up to buy a drink from the bartender and the bar, I didn't know this bartender either. It was this older woman who I didn't know. And she goes, how long have you been here? And I hadn't been there very long, just a couple hours, but she saw that I was holding hands with this very, very large girl. And I think it was her way of being like, how drunk are you? And, uh, anyway, like, I ended up like making out with her and went back to her house and she lived in like some house with a bunch of roommates, but they were all asleep. And like, we just made out and nothing more. I was wasted out of my mind and it was a work night. It was a Sunday night. And, uh, yeah, we just kissed, I guess. And like, I, I woke up like super early the next morning and I was like, fuck, I gotta go to work. And then I, like, I left her house and I was like uh, so severely damaged and hung over that I was like, fuck, I've just got to call out. I was so like, it was just like migraine, just mental, physical destruction. And then as I like gradually sobered up, I was like, oh God, because I've never done that. I've never had like a, a regrettable hookup and I wouldn't even say a regrettable hookup. I wouldn't even say it was a regrettable hookup. It was just, I just realized like when I woke up that like this girl's way too big. And that's really the only reason why I feel weird, but I'm really not attracted to her physically. Like she had a really pretty face, like unquestionably pretty face, but like she was physically so big that I was like, I can't that was a mistake. That was a 20 drink mistake. And she was like messaging me for a couple days. And I was like, Oh, I felt terrible. Felt absolutely terrible. And, uh, I have no idea what my friend thought. 
I mean, I had no shame either. I, I was like holding this girl's hand in the bar and like, and I'm, I don't even do that with girls that I normally like, you know, it's not even my style, but I, I was just like, so I was out of control. Like I was just completely out of my mind. And it, it, just, it was just like, I was like, oh God, like, like her weight is a huge factor in this. Cause it's not just a physical thing. It's not just the attractiveness of her. It was also just like what that represents. Like that represents a lifestyle. Like someone who's that big, like they spend a lot of their time like gorging themselves. And it means they're undisciplined. And obviously I was in no position to talk about discipline being like a drunk on a work night, drinking 20 drinks on a work night and having to call out sick the next day. Stupid, just something stupid and irresponsible. So I, I shouldn't be talking about discipline or responsibility, but when it comes to dating somebody, you can forgive some things like you can forgive some quirks and lifestyle choices, but it's kind of like a drinking problem or something when it's like, that's a lifestyle. It's not just that that person likes to drink. It's like that can become a whole lifestyle that impacts everything they do. And with her, it's like, I didn't, I didn't think this through. I didn't like go down the list of all the things that this represented, but like thinking about it now, I'm like, I think one of the reasons why I'm not attracted to that beyond like there being a clear cutoff as far as what's too big and stuff like that. It was also like that represents a whole lifestyle. Like that means like gorging on junk all the time. That's the only way you get that big. And I felt terrible about it because I completely blew her off afterward. Nice girl. Very nice girl. Just a very nice girl. It was very nice, very cool. And she probably knew, you know, she probably knew this guy got really drunk and that's the only reason he went home with me. And uh, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks. But then I, I didn't see her for a long time. And there was one night where I was at a, at a bar a few years later. I think it was like two or three years later. And, uh, like I was sitting inside, like near the window with some friends and I saw her outside, like having a cigarette or something. And she looked great. Like she had dropped a bunch of weight. Like she was still big, but this is a girl who could lose like a hundred pounds. Like, I'm not kidding. Like she could lose like a hundred pounds and still be like thick, but look a lot better. And that's, I think that's kind of what she did. Like she dropped a bunch of weight. Like she probably, she probably dropped like a hundred pounds and she was, but she was still very big, but, but it became very attractive. Like suddenly like her shape was there and her style, like it made her, cause she had a great sense of style and it made her look that much better. And so I was just kind of like drunkenly ogling at her from the window. I was like, damn, is that her? Damn. And, uh, I ended up messaging her. I think I was like, Oh, Hey, like I saw you outside. Uh, you look great. Like not even in a flirty way. Like I didn't even mean it for, I I didn't even intend for it to be like a pickup. Like I had any intention of meeting up with her. I just kind of wanted to acknowledge that like, you know, you look great. Like that significantly improved her sex appeal, her, her, cause she, like I said, she was already, you know, definitely a very pretty girl, but it just, it just improved her entire look that much. And so I messaged her, I was like, yeah, you look great. Which is another thing I don't normally say. I don't normally say that to women or anybody. You look great. 
And then I think she she was like, "Oh, do you want to meet up sometime?" And and I think I was I think I just flaked on her. I think I felt too bad. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to meet up with her, like, because she clearly didn't hold it against me. And I was like, she does look great now. But I never followed up because I think I was just like, I feel too bad. That first encounter was just too weird on my part. So I never, I never followed up. And I, I, I was social media friends with her. And I, I remember that she found a boyfriend. But she was like one of those girlfriends who, uh, I don't even remember her name. I can't even remember what her name was. I used to be a lot better. I used to be able to remember like every obscure person I ever met, their first and last names. And like I was thinking about a coworker of mine who I worked with for a long time. And like, I'm like, I can't even remember his last name. I used to remember that stuff. But this girl, yeah, I don't even remember her name. It's not even, it's not even coming to me at all. But, uh, you know, like she she ended up getting a boyfriend finally. I think she was like on the hunt for a boyfriend, and uh, but she was like one of those girlfriends where it was like if you looked at social media, like any time of the day, there'd be a post from her like about her boyfriend, about like something he did for her, something she did for him. It was like their entire relationship was on full display, which you know, to each their own. If that's if that's what you want to do with your account, that's what you want to do with your account. Do it. I wouldn't want somebody to tell me what to do, but it was just, I, I was like, okay, I feel like I kind of dodged a bullet there because there's that certain t- sort of person, women in particular, who in the age of social media, it's like their entire romantic relationship has to be on full display. I think people who hide it are weird too. I think people who hide their romantic relationships completely, like if you're in a long-term relationship and you keep it completely hidden that weirds me out too. And I've known people who do that so that they still get attention from people. It's kind of like the old Hollywood trick where back in the day, like if a, uh, an A-list heartthrob actor or actress was married or dating, the studio required them to keep it secret because that meant fans would be disappointed. Like if all these fanboys love Marilyn Monroe's Marilyn Monroe's if they all love Marilyn Monroe's but they find out she has a boyfriend like they're going to stop whacking off to her poster or something they're not going to go see her movies same principle applies in the age of social media where if somebody if you know if you're attracted to somebody and you find out they're in a relationship you're disappointed and you might like pay less attention to them I think that's probably big in the age of like social media or influencers where like a girl, like a, like an Instagram thought. It's one of the few modern terms I know. A thought. She's a thought. If she's an, inst- she's an Instagram thought. If a girl's an Instagram thought, but she like posts pictures of her with her boyfriend. A lot of those guys who follow her, I mean, like some of them are pervy enough to not care. But a lot of guys are going to be like, oh, man, that means I don't have a chance. That means there's no chance with her. But it also, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a natural, it's kind of like a, uh, an innate thing built into us too, though, where it's like, oh, she's, she's been claimed. But with, uh, yeah, people who like keep their relationship too much of a secret, it seems manipulative too. And like, I've even known people in, 
in person. Like I knew a girl who did that because like she still wanted to get messages from like random dudes flirting with her. Like she didn't like not getting that attention, which is the real like that's that's the swamp of the digital age is that there are so many ways to access somebody. Like you can you can be dating somebody and you have no idea who who's sending her messages or doing whatever, you know, and you shouldn't be paranoid or crazy about that. But it's just the age we live in, whereas there was a certain point in time where if like somebody wanted to flirt with other men. Like they had to get phone calls to the house phone that everybody uses or like lie about where they're going and have like these clandestine rendezvous, clandestine rendezvous. It took a lot of effort to have affairs and things like that. In the age of social media, you can just like be like, just get a, a Facebook message. And so some people keep their relationship secret for that reason. Other people just don't want it all out there. You know, there's a lot of people, and I think I'm one of these people more than I am not, where when I've been involved with somebody, I think it's fun to have a little bit of interaction with a significant other on social media. Like it's kind of fun, especially to kind of make fun of each other or something. But I don't like everything to be out there. I don't like the intimate details of our personal life. Like I don't want my girlfriend being like, oh, he brought me takeout food home from work today and it's so goody. Uh, here's a picture. I don't really want that memorialized. Oh, she today she uh, she bought me the new uh, she bought me the complete Mandalorian DVD set. Oh, my girlfriend's the best. Oh, you know, it's sweet stuff, but it's like there's couples who just broadcast all that stuff. Like they broad their entire lives are just like broadcasting these nice things they do for each other, which is nice, which is nice. But it's, it's weird. It feels like seeing into someone's life. It, it feels like you're seeing into part of someone's life that you shouldn't be seeing. And uh, anyway, this girl made me think of that. Cause I was like, the last time I was aware of her was, uh, like she had this boyfriend now and I was happy for her. You know, I was like, finally she found somebody, but it was like, it was all on display. And I was like, ah, you know, I, I don't think it worked out though. Last, I think if I remember right, like, I don't think it worked out. I don't know what happened to her. I would, I would be mortified if she heard the things I'm saying here, but it's, it's honest. The truth is the only reason I didn't want to pursue anything with her that first time that I made out with her is because like when the reality hit me of how large she was, it was just too much. It was just way too much. And that'd be really upsetting for somebody to hear. But that's the, that's, that was it. That was the deal breaker. There probably could have been other deal breakers, but like I couldn't even get past that. And, uh, but then when she lost the weight, like she lost a little bit of weight or I think she lost a lot of weight, but in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't like, like she was, like I said, she was still a big girl, but like just that alone, I was like, she looks amazing. You know, she, she really has a, a shape because before it was like, you know, she was turning into a pumpkin, you know? So, I mean just the truth. 
It's not that I have some unrealistic expectation for women's size. That's kind of where people go with this stuff. They're like, oh, if you're not attracted to women who are shaped like bowling balls or pumpkins, you have an unrealistic, you have an unrealistic expectation for like what women should look like. And you must think that all women should be anorexia. Oh, if you don't like a woman who's shaped like a pumpkin, you must think that all women should be anorexia. Anorexia. It's like there's a whole spectrum in between that. I don't want a woman to look like a pumpkin. But, you know, she, she doesn't have to be a, a toothpick. Doesn't have to be a skeleton. Doesn't have to be dead. Doesn't have to be dead. So that's part of it too, where it's just like, you know, being honest about that stuff. And you know, everybody has their own preferences and all that. Sure, sure, sure. But there's, it's sure, obnoxious. Sure, sure, sure. I'll never, I'm never going to do that again. People, I, I think someone I hate would probably do that. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. I think the sort of person I would hate would do that. Why would I, why would I do that? Why do I want to act like somebody I would hate? Um, but, uh, uh, I don't even know what I was saying. What was I saying? Uh, everybody's attracted to whatever they're attracted to and that's the thing. But there is this sort of consensus that forms because we started thinking that beauty was a conspiracy. That's the way all this shit's framed. That's the way like the sex positivity, body positivity, that's the way all this stuff is framed as if it was a conspiracy to decide certain things were beautiful. And there's a difference between beauty in a woman and sexual attraction. Like, there's women that I find stunningly beautiful and pretty who I'm not as, I'm not immediately sexually attracted to. And there's women who actually aren't very pretty who I'm very sexually attracted to. There's an awful phrase people used to use, like a butterface. I think, yeah, it was called a butterface. I didn't know what that was for years. I would hear that, butterface. And I thought it referred to like fat women. Like guys would be like, oh, you know, she's hot, but but she's a butterface. And I was like, oh, are they referring to fat women? And then I discovered, oh no, it's a play on words. It's but her face. Like she's really hot except for her face. Sometimes those women are the most sexually attractive. Like a woman who has just like a, the exact body you like, a woman who's just like perfectly shapely, who's extreme, her body's just extremely hot, but then she has kind of a, a messed up face, just a weird face. Sometimes that is actually more sexually attractive for some reason. Whereas like I, I, I go through this all the time where like I'll see women who are very pretty, very beautiful. They have very kissable faces. You got a very kissable face. Oh, David, David, did anybody ever tell you you got a very kissable face? But then, like, their body just isn't very sexually attractive to me for whatever reason. You know, it's sort of the opposite. Um, but the butterface thing is interesting because I don't even think of it as an insult. I would never call somebody that. But I don't even think of the idea as that insulting because I, I don't know what it is, but it's like women like that who have, like, extremely sexual bodies but their face is just lacking something that ends up being more sexually attractive for some reason and uh, and there is a very you know there's a distinction between sexual attraction and beauty 
And uh, sometimes they're combined, which is always nice, but oftentimes they're actually separate. It's like for me, like I've never dated a girl who's white trash, but I find white trash women just extremely attractive. I've never been involved with one. I've never been involved with a white trash girl one way or another. But I find them to be some of the most sexually attractive women on the planet. Like that's what I fantasize about is white trash women. The girls I've dated are just like, you know, very pretty liberal girls. Uh, But none of them are even anything bordering on white trash. And uh, there's just something about that that's very alluring. I don't know what it is. I think a a lot of men feel it though. Like when I was growing up, like the hot, like, like I used to watch Married with Children sometimes and I was sitting there fantasizing about, you know, Katie Seagal because she's so fucking hot. Like as a little kid, like when I was first kind of developing my first like libidinal impulses, I would see her on Married with Children and I would I'd always think like, because Ed on the show, Ed, uh, Ed O'Neill acts like Al Bundy. Al Bundy, Ed O'Neill, he acts like she's disgusting, like she's over the hill. Like there was an episode I saw as a kid where she finds Al's porno magazine like under a couch cushion and she like tries to seduce him and she's like, I could do this for you. And he's like, no, no, because he wants to go back to his porn meg. Whereas like as a kid, I was thinking like, she's so hot. Peg Bundy, man, like she is so hot. And so like, it didn't really make sense to me on the show that like she's presented as over the hill and not very attractive. Cause I was sitting there thinking like, she's hotter than the daughter. She's hotter than like Christina Appleby or whatever her name is. Applegate. <laughs> Christina Applebee's. She's hotter than Christina Applebee's. Now I, I thought that and like Christina Applegate was hot too. But like as a kid, I remember watching it and I was like, I'll take the mom. Cause she just had that like just extremely sexual white trash look. It was just, it was great. And you know what? I've compared notes with other people and a lot of guys felt that way. One of my friends growing up, like we were a little bit older, but I was, we were talking about like hot women and, and like someone was like, you know, I always liked like Peg Bundy. And I was like, hell yeah, you did. I've come across other people too, but there is something about that. Like that trashiness. I don't know what it is. It's like that comes across more like liberty to me. Like that seems more liberated to me. That seems like like sexual liberation. And you won't hear a woman like that like talk about sex positivity. Like a chick with bleached blonde hair, a tramp stamp, wearing like some some like disgusting like revealing outfit. <laughs> Like, she's not going to talk to you about sex positivity because she's just living it. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how I see it. It's like, she's just, she's like living sex positivity. She doesn't need to tell you what, what some book said. And it's honest. It comes across kind of honest. Like, I've always been attracted to that too. Like, I've never been involved with women like this, but I've always been attracted to women who are like, this is just what I am. You know, I'm not going to preach about it. I'm just going to show you what I am. But I think a lot of men make that distinction. Like, I mean, it it kind of gets into that like psych 101, like Madonna and the whore 
dynamic where like you want your wife to be the Madonna at home, like raising your babies, whereas you want to go fantasize or, or screw the whore or whatever it is. Like, I don't know. It, it probably plays into that. But I think you can just boil it down to, you know, sexual attraction isn't necessarily what you would define as beauty. Sometimes they meet in the middle, which is really cool. But there is a Venn diagram, and it's two different circles. And uh, it's, I don't know, and I mean, like, like what, what I'm getting at through all this is there's clearly a, like a spectrum. There's clearly a lot of gray areas as to what people find sexually attractive. But it's not the gray areas that they're talking about. Like, it's not the fluidity it's not like it's not this spectrum of of emerging gender identities and like wanting to be a woman and gender bending. That's not the gray area that I'm talking about. Like the gray area that I'm talking about is just the complexity of what we are attracted to and why. And there might not even be a why. You know, that's that's kind of here. It's like I'm attracted to some fat women, but they have to have a certain shape. They can't be shaped like bowling balls. My life has drawn me to like pretty and attractive women. But yet like my secret fantasies are all about like white trash women who I would never actually want to be in a one-on-one situation with. Like I would never want to pick up a girl like that from the bar. I wouldn't have anything to talk about. So it's just kind of funny. It's like, you know, none of it is one dimensional. None of it is black and white. And... I guess the sort of irony of me pointing that out is that is that by like promoting this new spectrum of sexuality and gender, the liberal, the liberal world order has actually forced a far more black and white view of these things onto everybody. And it's not only black and white, but it's very dishonest. It requires people to lie. It requires people to constantly seek new identities and not just validation or acceptance of those identities, but full-on celebration everywhere they go. And when that celebration dies down, it's on to the next one. But they're constantly putting themselves in boxes too. Like I don't think of myself as like liking a certain type of person. You know, it's like there's not one type of woman that I'm attracted to. There's some that I gravitate toward, but it's not like I limit myself as far as like what I see. Like if I go out and about, like I don't look at a woman and say, oh, she doesn't match the criteria. I just know it when I see it. I don't have any great way to wrap this up, but uh, this stuff shouldn't be controversial and it's not. That's what I always say. Just because people treat these things like they're controversial doesn't mean they actually are. There are real controversies in this world. There are real things that happen that result in controversy. These things aren't controversial. They're things that we all know. If we're honest with ourselves, you know, because it's not just that people are being dishonest with other people. They're being very dishonest with themselves. It's all very corrupt in that way. And, uh, you know, for me, it's like, yeah, I like the idea of sexual liberation as a path to 
greater honesty. And through that honesty, too, we improve our consensus. Like our consensus becomes a little more well-rounded. And uh, without honesty, though, that just can't happen because the consensus is manufactured and everybody's lying about what they believe anyway. They're lying about what they're attracted to. They're lying about who they are. And I'll stand by that. You know, I will stand by that observation that it's dishonest. And you can tell they you can tell deep down people know they're being dishonest. Like when someone shaped like a bowling ball says, "Look at me, look at me." You know, I'm the prettiest uh, girl at the ball. They know they're lying. They know people don't actually believe that. The only bowling ball, the only, uh, ruined my own joke. The only ball is the bowling ball. You know, they know people don't actually feel that way. And so it's this, it's not just that it's like a self-esteem trip. It's not just a way to like inflate your own self-esteem, but it's like you're not even getting good self-esteem because you know it's not real. And, uh, you know, the gender stuff, obviously, you know, you can the same applies where you know what people are saying to you isn't real. You know they're not being truthful about themselves, you know, and... Uh, the goal of that should be to find some greater level of honesty. And if you want to actually come to some kind of consensus about what all this stuff is, you have to allow everybody to be very direct about it. You have to let straight men. Oh, he, oh, he just wants like more time on the microphone for straight men. He's like a men's rights activist. No, but you really have to consider, because I think people would be, very fascinated in what straight men are actually into if they really talk to one. You know, I think that they would be fascinated by how, how men actually evaluate women and what they see and what they like and how they feel about what they like. Because with that really big girl, with the big girl that I made out with, I had to think to myself afterward, like, am I ashamed to, like, see her again? Because I'm worried what other people would think. Like, am I ashamed to... Do I, do I actually like her? Am I, am I sexually attracted to her or romantically attracted to her? But I just feel like this stigma against dating a really fat woman? And I was like, no, that's not it. I truly... I, I feel kind of like repulsed. I feel kind of repulsed when I think about the idea of, of being involved with somebody that large. It really wasn't social stigma at all. Um, but, and, and that's the thing too, is like men in secret, they don't give a fuck about social stigma. Like social stigma only affects like what you see from the outside. And if the reason like men weren't going after obese women and trans women if the reason straight men weren't going after them was just because of social stigma or conditioning, well, that might be what you see on the outside, but secretly men would be, they would have no reservations. They would be having all kind of clandestine rendezvous 
with huge women and, and small and, and, uh, and trans women. <laughs> and, uh, some men are doing that. Like some men do do that, but they're a very small minority. And, uh, you know, but the reality is if it was just about stigma, you'd have a lot more men who are like, you know what? Like trans women are women. And even though I'm a little embarrassed to be seen with one, why don't I go uh, get a hotel room with one? Oh, that, that, that chick's very big. I'd be a little embarrassed uh, taking her to my high school reunion and showing her off to my friends, but who's to say I can't take her to a hotel room? You know, men have no shame doing that. Like, I mean, look at gay men. Look at what gay men have done. You know, gay men, gay men, gay men go to the woods. They, they pick like certain locations and they spread word to like go to this place in the woods so that you can just fuck other men in the cover of darkness. And uh, they do it in, in bathrooms. Like, it was like that, that Republican politician who got arrested 10, however many, 10 or 15 years ago. Because like, there was a gay cruising spot, I think, at a, the Minnesota airport. And this Republican politician got caught in a sting. Because like, the, the authorities learned this was a huge gay cruising spot, this bathroom. And this Republican politician, he was like sitting on the, the seat... And he saw that there was a guy in the stall next to him. And so he started like tapping his foot underneath, like he, he stuck his foot into the other stall and was like tapping it. And then he was doing these other signals. Like he was running his hand like a certain way underneath the stall door. It's like some signal that the gay men developed to know like, oh, hey, do you want to have like anonymous gay sex in this bathroom? And it turned out to be a sting and this guy got arrested. And that's where he was like, I just have a wide stance. But it shows you like this guy, he's a Republican politician. He's like campaigning against gay rights or whatever he was doing. But he's secretly going into an airport bathroom to have sex with men. So it's like the stigma isn't stopping him from doing it. The stigma is, is maybe stopping him from living his life as an out of the closet gay man. Gay man. But it's not stopping him from, he can't resist that urge, obviously. And so it's the same thing with anybody, you know, where, like, if you're really into, like, obese women, you're still going to feel that urge. You might keep it secret, but you're going to do that. But most men don't. Same with, like, uh, the trans thing. Like, if, if, if most men secretly were like, I'm actually really attracted to that trans woman. You're not going to publicly date them, but you're maybe going to f- go to a bathroom with them. You know what I mean? It's like there would still be a lot more of, of that going on in, in secret, and there's simply not, which speaks volumes and should be of great interest to people. Because it's not all about making people feel bad or delegitimizing their identity. I understand everything I've said here probably does that. Everything I've said here would just be reduced to like one little thought which is like prejudice but uh who gives a fuck at this point right you know if people are going to speak openly and honestly these are the things that should be considered this is part of the science believe it or not part of the science of all this is like hey let's look at how horny straight men respond to all of these things going on 
how are horny how are h- horny straight men responding to the fat positivity movement has the reduction in stigma resulted in a lot more fit fit straight men dating bowling balls probably not probably not doesn't seem like i don't see many has trans awareness and and insisting that trans women are real women has that resulted in more horny straight white men i guess white doesn't matter but might as well just throw it in there right horny straight men because they're all they, that's what, they're all bundled together now anyway but yeah i mean as the, as the trans awareness thing and like the reduction in stigma against that has that resulted in more straight men horny stra- horny straight men secretly having sex with trans people i don't think so i don't think so and the ones who are going to do that i think we're going to do that anyway because they always have there've always been guys who like trannies and things like that that's not new they didn't make it public maybe it, maybe all of this has helped those guys out like maybe those guys can be a little bit more open about what they're into but you know we're we're living in such a quagmire People are confused. They're in a maze. They're confused about their own identity. They're confused about what they're attracted to. They're confused about what other people would even be attracted to in them. Because I think that's part of this too. Is like, I think there's a lot of people out there who do have low self-esteem. And like they think like, you know, what is it that somebody would even be attracted to about me? And so they have to kind of invent something. But you always know when someone's patronizing you. You always know when someone's being condescending. You always know when someone's lying to you. And I've said this many times on here. But a fake compliment can sometimes be worse than an insult. Because it's a lie. And even if they mean well, lying about somebody doing a good job or being good at something, or whatever it is, that's actually far more painful. Like, if you know somebody's lying, like, if you uh, if you draw a picture, and it sucks, and you ask somebody what they think, and they're like, it's fucking amazing, dude. Deep down, you know it sucks. And it actually feels worse that they're lying, even though it's a complimentary lie. This is the age of complimentary lies. And like what people are saying to fat people, like what people are saying to trans people, it's lies intended to compliment them or make them feel good. But everybody has an intuition, no matter how cloudy it is, no matter how overgrown with weeds somebody's intuition is, they know, they they absolutely know. I've always known. You know, when someone tries to be nice to me, but they're doing it just out of like sympathy, I know. And it doesn't make me feel good. Like, sure, it's, it's better than that person like poking my eyes out and kicking me in the dicky. You know, it's better than that. I'd rather have somebody tell me a complimentary lie than kick me in the balls. But that doesn't mean that a complimentary lie feels good. It actually makes you feel shitty. It makes you feel small and weak. 
And what are we seeing? Fat people don't seem to be feeling any better. Trans people don't seem to feel any better. They both seem more upset than they've ever been. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Like, I know I'm making a broad sweeping generalization. They seem more upset than ever. And I think it's because all this dialogue is making them feel even smaller and weaker. The people who are claiming to support them, their entire language just makes them seem small and weak. And uh, I guess that's the big issue of all this is it's just like it's a deception that is actually dragging people down and making their lives worse, making them weaker, making them more hysterical and dysfunctional because that's what dishonesty does. Dishonesty leads to dysfunction. It's why like somebody who lies in a relationship, while it might not have an immediate impact over time, that becomes a relationship built on a lie. It doesn't have infrastructure. Or if it does have infrastructure, it's faulty. It's poorly made. And so these kind of lies, or watching the dysfunction play out. Because people are so deceptive about human nature right now, this deception is just leading to widespread dysfunction. Because I don't think you can look at what's going on and see it as anything other than dysfunctional. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see 